All right, we're going to go ahead and get into chapter 14 here in just a moment. I was thinking about this earlier today that you have, of course, Hebrews chapter 11, which we've referenced uh, three or four or five different times over the course of our study of Deborah, Barak, Samson, different characters that make appearances in the book of Judges. And if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and read the entirety of all the context and read about these great men and women who served the Lord, uh, that you would have a only sketch of the person's life in the absence of the Old Testament passages that we read so frequently. And so it's one of those places where we stress the importance of reading all, old and new, because you get a, a more complete and fuller picture of who it is that you're talking about. Can you imagine someone who's never read the book of Judges, reading the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, drop down with Samson, and say, oh, it's just another, another good guy, without reading all of the details about him, which are so very vivid as part of the story. So we, we started last week with what we thought about Samson, some of his character flaws, some of his character strengths, some of the things that stood out to us. And we pointed out in our study uh, last Wednesday evening that one of the things that we found was that he finds this wife, and he found the wife from a wrong place. And we talked about that in the last 10 or 15 minutes of our study. We made reference to a couple of different passages. And then uh, verse 5 of chapter 14 where it says, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. We said that's perhaps a precursor uh, or an early glimpse of his violation of the Nazarite ways. And then we have a precursor to chapter 16 with the woman and a riddle. Someone, this is now getting into kind of the, the newer material. That was review, this is the newer material. Someone walk me through uh, what we talked about in the last five minutes of Wednesday evening. You may say, you expect me to remember a week ago what we were talking about in the last five minutes, but it had to do with a lion. What happened with Samson and a lion in brief? Killed it with his bare hands. Did so with great ease, with great, uh, just, just like that. Bible says as if he were killing what? A goat, right? So, and then he comes back and finds the lion. And what does he find? A swarm of bees had made a home in the carcass. Now, we don't know exactly how long all this had gone. And one of the things that Brother John and I were talking about last Wednesday evening was, you know, the Bible doesn't always give us the timeline as to how many days or weeks or months <clears throat> that that passed when these things uh, would happen. But let's pick up in about uh, verse, uh, verse 12. Samson said to them, for, the, for these individuals that were referenced in the first couple of verses there, 9, 10, and 11, he said, let me pose a riddle to you. And I'm told that riddles were really kind of a, a thematic motif of, of the society of the, what would be the 11th century, I guess, BC, or the 9th century BC, somewhere around 3,000 years ago. 
But he says, if you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing, which is pretty substantial. But he says, if you cannot explain it to me, you'll give me 30 linen, gar- 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And then out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. That's the first of a couple of statements or riddles or kind of poetic uh, little comments that has not only a a Hebrew rhyme and uh, flow to it, also it, it translates well into English, especially Old English as well. Um, how many days did they try to solve this riddle? Three days. And then in verse 15, on the seventh day, who did they go to for assistance? Samson's wife. Not to be confused with Delilah, who is not a part of the story yet, right? Now, Delilah is the major part of the second half of our story tonight. So how many total, by my count, how many total Philistine women are central to Samson's life? Well, I mean, I mean, you, you've got Delilah, you've got his wife, and am I correct? You've got the third, you've got the individual that he initially said, I wanted to meet back in chapter, uh, back in chapter 13, uh, or what chapter was it looking at? Chapter 14. So, so this goes to one of our big applications that we have made last week. Well, actually, we didn't get to applications last week, but we'll make it that the company that we keep, the people that we surround ourselves with, that it matters whom we come in contact with. And that, again, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, Exodus chapter 34, verse 16. And I put up there the three different times that the word Philistines is used here um, in, the, in the text. Um, Samson's wife wept on him, verse 16, and said what? In the New King James Version, it says, you only hate me. Anybody have something different than that in verse 16 of chapter 14? You only hate me, you do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. How, how insulted I feel, she, she seems to suggest here. Now, of course, she's being coached or coerced by the men saying, hey, tell your husband to tell us the, the trick because we want to be able to find the riddle answer. Thoughts on that? I want to really get into chapters 15 and 16, but I wanted to wrap up chapter 14. Reactions to this, thoughts you may have, points that we can learn from this. Brother Nate, uh, Alex here. And then after Nate, anybody else wanted to share anything? All right, we'll start with Nate. Maybe just an observation. To me, it just doesn't seem like she was his wife out of pure heart or love or devotion to him. It might have been something else or else she would have came to him and said, hey, these men threatened me, and no way he could have done it. Very good, very good. Remember that idea of the, the love that she has for him and the love that, she, that he has for her. Does the text ever say that he loved her? No. But does the text ever say that Samson loved a woman? 
And the answer is yes, right? When we get into the story of the next woman, right? Okay. Um, and then Mitch and I and a couple of others were kind of talking about verse 18, perhaps the um, one of the most interesting verses. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Translate that. <laughs> and it is comical. It's okay to laugh at that, at least I think. What's he saying? Yeah, you cheat, right? You cheated. You went to my wife, got the answer from her. Now you've come back, and, and you're getting this inside information. Um, verse 19 is an interesting verse because in the New King James Version, it says, and if you have something different, let me know, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And what did he do? He went down, he killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So that's the end of the story, but not the end of the story, because there's more to it. Uh, One of the things that I also put up on the screen here before closing out chapters 13 and 14 is that we see the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of God working mightily in Samson as a theme that develops throughout the text. Okay, I know we we kind of just glanced over some of those verses, but anything else you want to mention before we jump into chapters 15 and 16? Okay, Um, real quick, applications that we can make. Number one, we are to set ourselves apart for service to the Lord in clearly noticeable ways. That comes from the Nazarite vow, uh, going all the way back to chapter 13. So we're looking at chapters 13 and 14, making some applications. We may not uh, be prohibited from cutting our hair uh, or having uh, dealings with uh, grapes and things of such nature, but we are to look different uh, spiritually speaking, sometimes maybe physically speaking, maybe we're to look a little bit different, but spiritually speaking, we are to look different, we're to talk differently, we're to act differently, we are to react differently. We have taken a vow voluntarily for our entire lifetime, not for a set period of a dozen years or whatever the case may be. I will be holy and separate and sacred to the Lord in all things, and I'll do whatever He asks me to do. And if that makes me stand out from the crowd in a way that people will sometimes look at you funny, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with looking funny. Like we talked about uh, on Sunday morning, we used Titus 2 verse 14. We are a peculiar people, uh, zealous for good works. We look different in the way that we conduct ourselves as Christians. And it's okay. We're, we're okay to stand out like that. Uh, secondly, Having a healthy fear of the Lord is a good thing. That's one of the things that we had Manoah uh, going through. He was afraid because he says, hey, we're going to die. And Mrs. Manoah says, if that were the case, it would have already happened. And every time I think about the fear of the Lord, um, I don't know about you, but there are certain sermons in, in, in my lifetime that I've listened to that just, just kind of stick in your head. It may be 10 years earlier. It may be 20 years earlier. 
but David's sermon a year and a half ago on the, on the fear of the Lord still sticks in my head because he talked about different points of view when it comes to fearing the Lord. If you don't remember that sermon, you can preach it Sunday and you have a free one, right? You don't have to prepare anything. Uh, and thirdly, the failure to follow the Lord's ways leads to damaging things. Same thing that we started with just a few moments ago, the idea that when we do not do as the Lord asks us to do, it leads us down dangerous paths. When we interact with people of the world and we refuse to stand strong to do what the Lord asks us to do, it leads to dangerous paths as well. Okay? All right, let's go ahead in, our, in the time we've got left here. Uh, and deal with what we're supposed to be dealing with tonight, and that is chapters 15 and 16. Um, Chapter 15, if you were to summarize it uh, in 15 seconds or so, give me a highlight or highlights of chapter 15. One of the key events. Yeah, we have the tying of the foxes. Anybody have a different word for foxes in your translation? Every once in a while you run across the word jackals, and there's this uh, brother John talked about Sunday, and I appreciated him mentioning the the rabbit holes that sometimes we can go down. Uh, There's a whole big slew of articles out there over the, well, are we talking about foxes or are we talking about jackals? I don't think it matters. Um... But uh, the, there's, there's some ambiguity about the word in Hebrew, which lends itself to that question. But if you want to research that, type up 12-point font, three pages, double space, and get it to me on Wednesday evening. I'll be happy to provide it to the congregation for them to read. Um, let's get into the text, though. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat... And he said, let me go to my wife and to her room. Now, when we left chapter 14, what was the story with his wife? She'd been given over to the best man, some best man, right? Okay. So there, I'm, I'm not sure where the term best man really comes from, but this is interesting how this is kind of playing out here. Um, but her father would not permit him to go in. So verse 1, Samson looks to go to his wife but her father does not permit. This is in a culture where these days we might ask the father's permission uh, for the hand in marriage. Uh, and if he says no, we'd say, oh, forget it anyway. I'm still going to go through with it because customs have changed in hundreds or thousands of years. Back then, even though we're not in a patriarchal uh, spiritual age, we are in a very father-centric age where you respect what the father has to say. And if he says no, you have a real problem on your hands. So verse 2, her father said, I really thought you thoroughly hated her. That's an interesting response. And I'm not saying it's one that's inappropriate, but I really thought you hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. And then is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And this is one of those places where, again, if you've not read the previous uh, books of the Old Testament, you're at a disadvantage because you have some of this uh, old language brought up. And if you haven't read uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, you don't get all the the beauty of everything that's going to transpire later with, uh, what is it, 1 Samuel something, somewhere. Um, 
Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And then what Miss Shirley, uh, uh, what, what Miss Sherry, Sherry talked about um, here just a second or so ago with the idea of the foxes. Samson went and caught how many? 300 foxes. That's 150 pairs. That's good math there. 150 pairs of foxes, took torches, turned each of them tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of the tails, set the torches on fire, let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. What are shocks, by the way, for those of us from the city? Yeah, that's where they gathered them and bundled them together and probably had them stacked up. And my understanding is, is just as you would bale hay and let it sit in different places in your field, you would also bundle up your crop, making it easier for transport and gathering up. So let's just make a couple of observations here, and then we'll open it up for comments. Uh, note if you had the father's response. I thought that was kind of interesting just to, to ponder out. We thought you thoroughly hated her. That was our conclusion based on everything we read, everything that we experienced in chapter 14. So what does Samson do? He acts. He is a man of action. Now, sometimes his actions are a little bit uh, or a lot subject to question, uh, but he is a man of action. He is one when he says, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, and he destroys the crops of the Philistines. And what do the Philistines do to him? Or I'm sorry, what do they do in response? Yeah, they, they take a very logical approach to the whole situation. And verse 6 says, who has done this? They said, Samson, the son-in-law of of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So this is a very um, ugly picture. Remember we talked about, we've talked about the cycle a bunch. But I also made reference to the cyclone last week, the spiral, downward spiral. You can see that things are getting uglier, blacker, darker, sadder as we come down the spiral. And uh, one of the writers that I was looking at, uh, I came across, said, we are now at the bottom of the spiral. Things are just getting, and and it's going to get uglier as, as the picture concludes. And then if you think this is bad, wait until you get to the last, what, five chapters of the book of Judges, and it gets even worse. And things just disintegrate in their culture because of an absence of the Lord in their presence. Thoughts on the first six verses? All right, verse seven. Samson said, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely, what's the next two words? I will take revenge. That's in the New King James. Anybody have a different word than revenge? Be avenged, okay? The idea that I'm going to be avenged. I will take vengeance. I will be avenged. I will take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. He says, but I'm not going to stop until I've exacted my revenge. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt on the cleft of the rock of Edom. The idea seemed to me that he knows that now he's probably going to be a... a, uh, He's going to be on a, on, on a poster, uh, most wanted, Samson. And that's exactly what's going to be the case over the next few verses here. So the word revenge is used. We've talked about revenge quite a bit in our stories. 
uh, up to this point, now in our two-thirds of the way through the study of Judges. Uh, But the word is used here, and I thought that was an appropriate use of the word revenge. Um, Hip and thigh, uh, there's, again, there's a whole set of uh, studies on what that means and what it could mean. But simply put, it seems to be among other things, and it could mean something literal, and we can talk about that if we have extra time or after services, if you want to share with me what you've you've, um, discovered in your studies. Uh, But it seems to be symbolic of Samson's great strength. Another way of saying, this man is strong. This man is big. And we're going to see that um, transpire here just a little bit more. Um, Go down to verse 10 says, the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson, talking to the Philistines, to do to him as he has done to us. So, you know, he did it to us, we'll do it to him. We do it to him, he'll do it to us. I mean, just keep doing this kind of thing more and more. And uh, certainly not the spirit with which we are to respond to others when someone harms us, what are we to do? We are to turn the other cheek. Now, I don't, there, well, that's another, that's another, so I'm not going to go down that. You already know where I was going to go. But yes, there's, there's the spirit of, yes, you said something mean to me. Yes, you were rude to me. I'm not going to be rude back to you. I'm not going to be mean back to you because that's not what my Savior wants from me. And when Jesus was uh, made rude to, he responded with incredible kindness and generosity and forgiveness and mercy. So you have here this question of Judah. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Now, you can interpret that statement in a couple different tones, at least it seems to me. Um, And we can talk about that in our spare time as well. But verse 12 is what I really wanted us to kind of talk about for just a few seconds here. He says, we have, or they said, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And of course, they spoke and they said, nope, we won't do it. We'll, we'll let them do it. We'll, we want to arrest you and turn you over to them. And uh, this is what one said may very well be the lowest point in the history of these people where the people of Judah are willing to sacrifice one of their own. Samson is is he's he's a good guy, even though he's brought a lot of problems to these people. But when you sacrifice one of your own, when you say, we want to arrest you so that we can deliver you over to the Philistines so that they will stop harassing us, stop killing us, stop burning us, stop burning our crops, doing all the ugly stuff that we know that historically that they did to godly people. Um, So, verse 13, 
We will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And then verse 14, here it is again. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And then what did he find? A fresh jawbone of a donkey. So not one that was old and dried out. So a a recent dead donkey. Uh, There's so much speculation here. I don't know where to start. Um, Some have suggested that do we have yet another reference where he's in either direct violation or very close to violating his vow uh, of the dead carcass. Um, I don't know how big. I, I thought about taking, finding a picture of one, but I didn't go down that rabbit hole today as well. Uh, but, we're, but donkeys are relatively big animals, big, big jaws. So this is not just a small little turkey bone, wishbone, that he's using to kill these people. The strength is not in the jawbone, of course, right? The strength is in Samson, and the strength is not in Samson. The strength is in the Lord, because the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And how many, uh, how many people did he kill? A thousand men with it. I, I talk about those moments that you, well, maybe you don't want to see this on TV, but there's, there's, I'm just, I'd be curious to press play. Just for a few moments and watch it. It might be a little bit gory. Uh, But just to see this happen, I mean, can you imagine this? And then in verse 16, Samson, the poet, the Riddler, says, I got a song for this. And so in verse 16, he says, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Has a nice um, flow to it. Um, Maybe. Uh, someone in their spare time can put that to a tune and teach it to our children um, if you want to. I'm told that uh, there's a play on words in the Hebrew language and actually in the Old English that not only is, not only is there a rhyme and poetic sense to it in Hebrew that is lost in English, in Old English, there's actually a rhyme to it as well. Um, which translates kind of conveniently as well. We can talk about that. In our, we have a lot of things to talk about in our spare time when we're done tonight. So just we can all get together and talk for a while. Um, verses 18 through 20, I want to read here, and then we'll, we'll pause. Uh, after all this had happened, so even though it's the strength of the Lord that's allowing Samson to have this kind of success. Samson is still exerting a lot of effort. He's exhausted. I mean, I'd be exhausted, you know, if I had to kill the one person because that would be emotionally exhausting, but he's killed a thousand. So in verse 18, he became very thirsty and he cried out to the Lord and says, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. So he gives credit where the credit is due. So there's, there's a check mark in the column of, this is why Samson is known as a good guy. You have given me the great deliverance. Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, or Lehi, and water came out, he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. 
And then for how many years did he judge the Philistines? Mentioned here as well as in chapter 16 for a period of 20 years. So uh, Samson sought God's help and the Lord provided. So that's kind of a, not, that's, that's a uh, summary of chapter 15. Uh, I threw in a couple of questions. I threw in a couple of things to think about and a couple of bonus things maybe that we can talk about uh, if we have some extra time after services or whatever. But your thoughts, things that I did not bring out that you say, we got to bring this out. We got to talk about this. Comments or questions or... Brother Mitch here. Alex? Um, it's, it's not unique the way that they handle these situations as far as uh, revenge and things like that. When you're talking about, um, at this point in time, the Israelites and the Philistines, neither are following God. And so when you have uh, individuals seeking their own vengeance... And we, we see the situation where the Philistines say, you know, why has Samson killed all these people? Well, he's done it because his father-in-law took his wife and gave her to his friend. Okay, well, then we'll go kill the father-in-law and the, and the wife. Um, you know, you're not, you're not dealing with people using any sense of morality in their decision-making process. And so it shouldn't surprise us that it gets so dark so fast. Excellent. Um, because that's what happens when the world is doing what the world wants to do. And that's... You know, that's kind of what God told them in the beginning. That's what Moses told them. That's what Joshua told them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you don't want to end up in this situation, you have to follow his law. They Excellent. don't, and so they do. Um, talking about the, the men of Judah, I think this is interesting in that this is a, a deliverance that God's giving them through a judge that they, the people of Israel don't seem to have repented and are asking mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. God just gave it to them. Right. Um, and so I think that's why you see the men of Judah saying, okay, we got this problem in Samson who's, you know, killing our enemy, mm-hmm. but he's causing more of a problem for us. So we just need to give him over to him and then yep. it'll be okay. Excellent. Very, very good point. Anything else? Thank you, Mitch. Uh, Brother David. Um, and, I, and I like that idea of the dark world picture. We have a dark world whenever we are absent from following God. And that's what's happened here. Just a, a, a quick uh, point as you think about both in chapter 14, verse 19, and then chapter f- uh, 15, verse 14, when in both of those occasions, when Samson takes action, uh, it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and then the action's taken. And so I think there is some implication in, in those specific moments with the Spirit of the Lord at work, that this, you know, this is not simply Samson reacting, but God working through Samson's reaction mm-hmm. to you know, you know, the previous events that had unfolded. Excellent. Very good. And those two occasions, if you want to mark those down, that David referenced, 14, 19, and 15, 14. Chapter 14, verse 19, chapter 15, verse 14. So that's a really good observation. Okay, chapter 16 is probably uh, the most familiar chapter uh, of the narrative of Samson because whenever you talk about Samson, it's Samson and, you know, it's almost always Samson and Delilah. Um, and uh, that's certainly the case here. 
uh, where we get into the story of Samson and Delilah. It says, Samson went to Gaza. Where is Gaza? Okay, we, now it's in Egypt, right? Uh, we talk about Gaza Strip. We talk about the city of Gaza. In the ancient times, this was in the territory that belonged to none other than the Philistines. It's one of what I'm told five major cities or five major metropolises. That So he's going to the wrong place again. You would think that maybe he'd say, you know, mom and dad's advice back in the earlier part of the narrative, maybe I should go back and revisit what they had to say. Maybe I should look in my own community for someone. But no, he goes to Gaza and Saul, not just uh, 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 a school teacher who is busy teaching her students like in Beauty and the Beast or whatever, but he finds who? Finds a harlot. And, there, uh, and he says, went into her. And Samson has come here, the Philistines say. When they find out, they surround the place, lay in wait for him all the night at the gate, which we'll talk about in just a second. They were quiet all the night, verse 2. And in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. Samson lay low till midnight. He arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So a couple of things about this. Uh, One, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, do what when it comes to evil? Uses, Uses the word abhor, right? Abhor evil. What is Samson doing? He is interacting with evil, saying, I don't, I don't, you're Philistines, strike one. You're a harlot, strike two. You know, all these different things that he should have known better. Uh, And then we see yet another exhibition of his great strength. Uh, Study Bibles that you have talk about the weight of the gates, talk about the distance to Hebron, um, and you can look at those details. This is a very strong man. This is, uh, this is a, a big man, big, strong man, big, strong man, right? So this is not someone that you'd want to tangle with uh, if you're going to get involved in a fight. But verse 4 makes reference to something that we haven't seen before. We get a little bit of a different flavor. What does verse 4 say? It says, he loves someone. Oh. So he says he loved Delilah. He loved a what says he loved a woman is what the New King James says. He loved a woman whose name was Delilah. It specifically says, um, happened that he loved a woman whose name was Delilah. All right. So, um, and the lords of Philistines came upon her and said, enticing. Have we seen this before? We've seen this happen before, right? Uh, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, Reading down verses six through the majority of the text, you have Delilah and Samson going back and forth regarding his strength. Um, 
Someone kind of summarized that because this is part of the narrative that even our fourth graders could tell, tell you this story. But what, what happens here in the next 10 verses? The word nagged uh, is, I didn't use that word. So I want to go on the record that I did not say that. But Miss Janita's right. She nagged him. In fact, in the New Living Translation, a version that I would never study from, but yet that I look at every once in a while, the word nagged is used in the text. In verses, in fact, we'll go ahead and drop down to verse 15. How can you say, I love you? If you love me, you would tell me these things. Um, And the words that are used in the New King James, New American Standard, and in the NLT, pestered, nagged, annoyed. So this is a, the, the height of their marriage relationship where they're having these challenging discussions. And Samson was not to tell this if he wanted to save himself, right? Uh, and or save his people. Drop down to verse 16. Came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, um, that he told her all his heart. Verse 18. Oh, and he says, For I have, he says, No razor has ever come by my hand, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and shall be like other men. By the way, one of the things that we, we kind of glanced over real quickly is he talked about his hair when he gave her a false indicator of his strength, when he said, weave the hair, how many locks? Weave weave seven into the thing, and that will be the thing that will keep me. So it's almost like he's getting closer to revealing the truth. Uh, Why he's doing that? Again, that's subject to our questions. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, Thought that was an interesting phrase. All his heart. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines. And she says, come once more. I know we've been through this a lot. (laughs) We've done this a number of times. But tonight's the real time. So something indicated to Delilah that this time the truth is the truth is the truth. That this is really, she said, you've revealed all your heart to me. Now Now you have been completely transparent. Now I can turn you into the people that are going to afflict you. Uh, she lulled him to sleep, verse 19, on her knees, called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to torment him and his strength left him. And then verse 20, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep, said, I will go out as here as, as other times, shake myself free, but he did not know that what had happened, the Lord had departed. That's, that's a sad statement. The Lord had departed Samson. That's, that's, that's sad for him uh, for a number of different reasons. And what do they do? They, they punch out his eyes, somehow remove his eyes. They arrest him. They do all the things that they'd been dreaming about for quite some time in order to afflict him. Uh, They seem to kind of put him on exhibition, at least it seems to me, like an animal at a zoo. Uh, But worse, these days, animals at zoos, hopefully, you know, 
I like animals, I treated as well as possible, but more like a circus, like an inhumane circus, and make him do tricks. Um, and they give him a job. What is his job? Push a millstone, which would be a difficult task to do, uh, but it's also a task that was typically in their culture reserved for what kind of person? What'd you say? Okay, it wasn't reserved for a person, right? Reserved for an animal. And I'm told that if humans ever did do it, it would have been a woman's job. So there's like three different strikes against this. So Samson is being humiliated. You're like an animal. Uh, You can't see anymore. He's in immense pain, I'm sure. I mean, just a really sad, this, this, this story always bothered me. The putting out of the eyes just really always bothered me. That just really made me sad and, and feel his pain for what he's going through here. And then what do they do? Their God, who, and their God's name is, is named Dagon or Dagon, right? And it's spelled a couple different ways in different places, D-A-G-O-N or D-A-G-A-N, uh, and uh, some have suggested that he is, uh, that. well, historically, there's some references to unearth things that uh, some sort of a crop god, because they had grain crop gods, and you had gods of water, and you had gods of uh, livestock, or whatever the case may be. And um, I can't, I'm losing my sight. What time is it? It's cutoff time. I'm sorry. I can see, but I can't tell which hand was which. I don't have my glasses on for far sight. So let's do this. Let's put a stop there. We are almost through chapter 16. Go ahead and read chapter 17 through 18. And if you say, well, this seems kind of odd because 17 and 18 don't necessarily seem to fit, uh, that's okay because 17 through 21 is kind of a, a section uh, a little bit different than the narrative of 1 through 16. So thank you all for your good comments tonight. We'll go ahead and pause there.